Journalists and other Democrats are reacting with outrage to the convention speech of adorable cutie pie and former ambassador to the UN, Nikki Haley. Haley said in her speech that this was not a racist country, sending shockwaves through George Stephanopoulos and other organized crime figures. Among the hardest hit was CNN's Brian Stelter, who said Haley's words caused him to take to his bed for a good cry, clutching his American Girl doll, also named Brian Stelter. In a private conversation later released to the press, Stelter told his doll, quote, I am very saddy-waddy over the meanie-weenie words of Nikki Wiki. I'm so upset, I can't even get out of bed to tweet about how hard I'm crying, unquote. Stelter says he's going to hold his breath until Haley either agrees to take the statement back or buys him a Barbie dream house of his very own. At the New York Times, a former newspaper, the outrage spread all the way from the 20-year-old staffers to the editors who tremble at their every word. In a statement written in calligraphy on the finest vellum, editor-in-chief Blithering Prevarication III told the other diners at Le Bernardin, quote, it is unforgivable for Nikki Haley to say something we higher orders don't want people to believe. After all, this is still a country where an innocent black man with a warrant out on him for abusing women can be gunned down by the police for doing nothing but fighting with them when they try to arrest him and then reaching into his car for a possible weapon to kill them with. If that isn't racism, then racism would just mean racism, which is patently absurd. Unquote. Presumptive former President Joe Biden also condemned Haley's speech, saying, quote, it was personally disappointing to me to hear those words coming from a woman whose hair smells so great, I just want to be buried in it, possibly within the next couple of minutes, because I'm really not feeling very well. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, if I don't choke to death first, we'll continue bringing you tomorrow's news today, as we've been doing for years now. We've almost caught up to the news that I've reported. Uh, and please, you know, yesterday we did a, an all-access live thing about the uh, convention, and we moved our numbers on the YouTube channel, um, the Andrew Clavin YouTube channel. We moved our subscription numbers over 100,000, which means now 100,000 of you have to double that. So get to work, and if you leave a comment, that's very helpful to us uh, if, because it raises the level of the conversation, especially if it's not very intelligent. Uh, Clemens Fulgate has a comment today. As he says, if you don't subscribe to Mr. Clavin's YouTube channel, he will turn up with the rest of the Daily Wire gang at a restaurant you might be at and stand around you with his fist in the air, repeatedly shouting, be wise, subscribe. Actually, we're not that organized. We are that violent and ugly, but we're not that organized. Um, so far, I was watching the convention, the Republican convention yesterday, doing it on all access and getting your comments, which was lots of fun. Uh, so far, I see two major differences between the Democrat convention and the Republican convention. I am a partisan, but I'm not going to pretend that the Republicans attack Joe Biden any less than the Democrats attack Trump, or that one side is divisive while the other is full of bright goodwill for all humankind. This is politics. Everyone hates the other guy. That's virtually their job description. But the first main difference is that Republicans see problems arising from policy 
Our policies create jobs, theirs don't. Ours nurture freedom, theirs don't, etc. The Democrats, on the other hand, believe that the problem is America itself. The flag we fly, the lives we live, the history that made us, they're all toxic. There's racism in our DNA. There's so much sexism. Our evil constitution, remember Obama pointed out that they didn't even give women the vote in 1787 when in fact no woman on earth ever voted anywhere until the 19th century, late in the 19th century. And of course, capitalism, what an evil yuck that gives more money to people who work harder and create more stuff, which is just not fair. So for Republicans, the problem is policy. And for Democrats, the problem is America itself. That's the first difference. The second difference is you can change policy. You can fix problems. But amorphous nothings like systemic racism and the way of a man with a maid and the fact that if you don't work, you starve, these things are built into the human condition. They'll never go away. And that, I think, is the point. If you can't fix it, the grievance is never over. You can never be redeemed. The government always has more to do. Can anyone imagine an America in which the left stands up and says, yep, that's it. Systemic racism is taken care of. Let's move on. It will never happen. It's not supposed to happen. All these accusations of vague injustice are there to create so much guilt in you that you finally confess you're not worthy to run your own life. You don't deserve your freedom. And you become willing to give all the power of decision to the people who made you feel guilty in the first place. Mailbag will come up at the end. We will be, it's the Chinese mailbag because we'll, it'll be a pandemic of wisdom. Uh, so don't, you don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss getting a ring for your house. There's thousands of reasons why protecting your home matters to you, obviously, but it matters even more right now when you might be locked in, when you might be having a, lots and lots of deliveries. You want to look out and see that the deliveries are safe. You want to see who is out there. Ring has security products for every corner of your home, inside and out, and you can see it all in one simple app. With Ring, you can keep an eye on your home no matter where you are, right from your phone. And even if you're home, you can keep an eye on different parts of your home and different parts of the outdoors, which is very reassuring at 2 o'clock in the morning when you're asleep, but I'm lying awake. You can see and talk to whoever is at your door and keep an eye on every corner, and, and you can get a special offer on the Ring Welcome Kit at ring.com slash Clavin. It comes with Ring's Video Doorbell 3 and Chime Pro, the perfect way to start your Ring experience. Go to ring.com slash Clavin. That's ring.com slash Clavin. And if anyone comes anywhere near your house, just stop him right away and say, how do you spell? The lights go on and all this stuff. And, you know, you say, how do you spell Clavin? And if he knows, call the police. Um, so well, I'm watching this thing. I, a guy I really liked was this Kentucky. He didn't get a lot of press, uh, obviously. I mean, Melania got most of the press from uh, yesterday's uh, convention. But the Kentucky Attorney General, the first black Attorney General in Kentucky, Daniel Cameron, I, I really liked him. It was cut three, just to give you a look. I also think about Joe Biden, who says, if you aren't voting for me, you ain't black, who argued that Republicans would put us back in chains who says there is no diversity of thought in the black community. Mr. Vice President, look at me. I am black. We are not all the same, sir. I am not in chains. My mind is my own. So I want to talk about something that we never talk about. And even on the right, we don't talk about it because we don't think we should. But it's important, I, I think. You know, well, the reason there's all this hysteria, this black, you know, bias hysteria going on, is because blacks are now finally beginning to assimilate. And that is driving the Democrats and the left insane because if they assimilate, they'll lose them. They'll just become Americans and they'll vote which, like this man, whichever way they want to vote. 
And assimilation is hard, you know? It's one of the big American subjects. It's really hard. That's why you have movies like The Godfather, you know, just as you try to get out, they pull you back in. Movies like Get Out, where a black guy basically assimilates by going out with a white girl and finds that, oh my gosh, they're stealing black people's souls. These are the fears that people have. This idea of systemic racism, I don't know what it means. I'm not sure it's supposed to mean anything. I think it's just a license for eternal grievance, you know? But if it means anything, it means that America is formed on ideas that come from certain places, from Athens, from Jerusalem, from Rome, and mostly from Europe, specifically by way of England. Most of our ideas come to us from England. The people who formed our country were basically Englishmen, displaced Englishmen. And that means, that's hard for everybody. That means all of us who come here who aren't, don't happen to be Englishmen are accepting something that's foreign to our native culture. So if you're a Jew, for instance, this is just true. I mean, I grew up as a Jew. You're accepting what is essentially a Christian structure. And Christians have persecuted Jews for a long time. If you're Irishman, you're essentially adopting British rules of behavior. And the British have been oppressing the Irish uh, for a long time. If you're a Sicilian like Knowles, you're giving up the right to settle your differences by the efficient means of just killing your enemy and you're going to law courts, which are completely ridiculous, you know. But for black people, it's not wrong to acknowledge that it's especially difficult because it's in this country, in this place, where the the wrongs against them were committed. And if you do that, you are without, this is not patronizing or condescending, you are taking an extra step, an extra step of grace, an extra step of forgiveness, and an extra step of courage because people are going to call you names. They're going to call you Uncle Tom. They're going to call you the house slave, whatever, you know, worse things than, I, than I'm willing to say. Now, I'm, I'm an assimilated Jew, and when I accepted Christ, I, I was frozen for five months. This is what my book, The Great Good Thing, is about. I was frozen because I thought, am I just giving up my nature? Am I surrendering to the prevailing culture? Am I just, you know, uh, caving in to the people around me and accepting and basically selling out uh, my people? And I had to really think about, do I believe in this religion? And is am I doing this with integrity? It requires a lot. I'm telling you, it requires a lot of courage and a lot of extra courage, I think, for a black person in this country right now. And we should, we should celebrate that, we on the right. When a guy comes over to the Republicans, he is committing an act of courage and grace and forgiveness. And when he says, I love this country, I am part of this, he's taking a little extra step. And I don't think it's wrong to celebrate that. And I think a guy like that comes on, we should, we should say, you know, like, yeah, that's cool. Because forgiveness is not the natural thing. What the left is doing is the natural thing. Bitterness and eternal grievance is the natural thing. Forgiveness is the Christly thing, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. And you know, this also goes. This also goes for Melania. And I, again, I'm speaking really bluntly today, but you know, you you can stand it. When when Melania became first lady, I was worried that she was going to shame the nation. She had a dodgy past. I mean, she came up from nowhere. There are all those nude pictures she did. Uh, there's rumors that she was maybe on, on the on the uh, arm, you know, that maybe she was actually uh, selling herself. You know, I, I don't know anything about this. But I thought, like, hey, it's a really dodgy past, and she married Donald Trump, which, again, you know, is not always the smartest thing for a woman to do, as history has shown. She has been a great first lady. She has graced this country. She has she has made me personally proud to see the way she is with children, to see the way the way she can talk all those different languages to so many different people. And this is again, this is something we we ought to celebrate. Not like oh, don't talk about that, don't bring that up. No, this is somebody who elevated herself, who became something greater than the situation she was in. And I know about this too. 
I know about this too. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be a lot crazier and dead, but I'm here because I, by the grace of God and by the uh, work of God, only through that, I was elevated into something new. That's a celebration. That's something, that's a beautiful thing. I personally celebrate it every day and I celebrate it when I see people like Melania. And meanwhile, we get from the, the left, especially our disgusting celebrity class who really, uh, you know, the fact that we make these people famous speaks ill of us. But here's Sarah Sil- uh, Silverman. She tweeted during the speech, I have to admit, Melania is a pretty sexy, lying, a-hole, complicit pig. Okay, Kathy Griffin, I can't even quote what she said. It's all filth. Uh, you know, John Cusack, uh, it, I don't, uh, you know, if she was a sex worker and who knows the truth about such a thing, that's not what's wrong. It's being a racist, a liar, and a criminal enabler of a Nazi who put children in cages. Uh, never forget this model was actually a call girl. Rapper Cardi B said, didn't she used to sell that WAP? Well, you know what? Uh, if she did, She's become one of the most graceful, beautiful first ladies we've ever had. And it is an extreme statement of the pettiness and meanness and small heartedness of the left that they don't put her on magazine covers. I know it's a small thing, but the, the first lady is kind of for everybody. You know, she's not taking sides all the time. She's supporting her husband, but she's not taking sides. She usually does stuff that involves children and uh, drugs and things like that. You know, there's no reason not to put this beautiful, graceful woman on magazine covers. It's just meanness. It's just smallness. It's just power hunger because they own all those magazines and we're too stupid to start our own women's magazines and our own culture, uh, you know, our own counterculture to counter theirs. So let's take a look at what she said. She basically uh, made a unifying speech, a speech, I think, that was meant to appeal to women with whom Trump has a problem. Uh, this is cut 18 saying she's not going to make it a partisan speech. As you have heard this evening, I don't want to use this precious time attacking the other side. Because as we saw last week, that kind of talk only serves to divide the country further. I'm here because we need my husband to be our president and commander in chief for four more years. He's what is best for our country. And I love that she said, you know, he speaks his mind and she broke out in a big smile. You know, we all know that he doesn't keep his mouth shut, basically. So so she went high. You know, she learned this, obviously, from Michelle Obama. You can compare her speech and you can see she took a tip from Michelle Obama, who went so high. This is cut 23. They see our leaders labeling fellow citizens enemies of the state while emboldening torch-bearing white supremacists. They watch in horror as children are torn from their families and thrown into cages and pepper spray and rubber bullets are used on peaceful protesters for a photo op. Sadly, this is the America that is on display for the next generation. A nation that's underperforming not simply on matters of policy, but on matters of character. So that's the, that's the, I got the saying wrong. It's when Melania goes high, Michelle goes right into the mud. <laughs> what I love about the Michelle speech is every word of it was untrue. You know, the, the, the stuff about saying good things about uh, white supremacists, the stuff about putting kids in cages, which her husband was doing way before Donald Trump had to do it because of the law. The other part that I love was uh, Melania basically addressed the riots, which, you know, the press has been, until today, the press has been covering them up. Uh, and she called for people to come together. There's cut 20. We still have so much to learn from one another. With that in mind, I like to call on the citizens of this country to take a moment, pause, and look at things from all perspectives. I urge people to come together 
in a civil manner so we can work and live up to our standard American ideals. I also ask people to stop the violence and looting being done in the name of justice. So, so Lester Holt, the anchorman at NBC, is shocked, shocked that she would attack looters. What's, what's wrong with her? This got six. She may have raised eyebrows when she talked about uh, the need to stop <laughs> looting in the name of justice. Uh, there will be those who will, who will take offense at that, who are in the streets uh, protesting, not necessarily looting. Yeah, so Kenosha, Wisconsin is on fire. Finally, this is breaking through. People are seeing it. Don Lemon is not happy. This is cut eight. I think this is a blind spot for Democrats. I think Democrats are ignoring this problem or hoping that it will go away. And it's not going to go away. And so, unless someone comes up with a solution over the next 73 days or 70 so, however many days. 68 days. 68 days. So it's not going to the problem is not going to be fixed by then. But what they can do, and I think maybe Joe Biden may be afraid to do it. I'm not sure. Maybe he won't. Maybe he is. He's got to address it because the polls are going bad. Governor Kate Brown of Oregon, she tweets, let me be clear. It's time for the violence and vandalism to end so Portland can focus on the important work to be done to achieve real change for racial justice. Those who have committed acts of violence will be held accountable. It's time for the violence to end. It's been months. It's been, oh, it's polls o'clock. You know, it's polls, the hand is halfway past the polls and we're ditching and suddenly we're losing, uh, you know, the, we had the whole media covering this up and suddenly people aren't happy. This All this, of course, is the shooting of Jacob Blake, which is still not uh, completely, uh, well, I mean, it looks to me like maybe it was a justified shooting. Here is Jacob Blake's mother saying she doesn't want this done in her son's name. Please don't burn up property and cause havoc and tear your own homes down in my son's name. You shouldn't do it. People shouldn't do it anyway. But to use my child or any other mother or father's child, our tragedy to react in that manner is just not acceptable. You know, it's interesting. The medical examiner in Hennepin County, uh, Minnesota, uh, now says that George Floyd, if he had been left alone, would still have died from the fentanyl in his blood. He's not saying he did die of the fentanyl in his blood, but he said he had enough in his blood to kill him, a fatal dose. So there's another narrative going down the drain. And of course, all these, you know, the thing about this stuff is, is it's like, these things are always complicated. You always want to see them through, but the media just keeps pumping out the rage. They keep pumping out the narrative, and they are as, as they are basically complicit in this violence. And we've seen how ugly it's getting. People were killed uh, in Wisconsin yesterday. We don't know yet who it was or how exactly it happened, but it seems like what, some guy actually went out with a gun and started. Uh, fighting back. And we don't even know if he, we don't know if he was justified. We don't know the whole story yet, but still, you know, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen when you let people just riot and run riot? They've, They've called out the National Guard, but they've refused federal help. And now it's affecting the polls and it's, it's counter programming to this so far excellently run convention. And now they're on, now suddenly they're unhappy. Oh, you, what do you mean you don't like it when we burn down your house? Don't you know how racist you are? It ain't working. All right, let us talk for a moment about ready, wise food. You know, here where where we are crazy conservatives, we're always paranoid that the world is about to end and that there'll be some kind of some kind of crazy disaster where you'll need food and you might not be able to get out of your house. 
We were right all along, and that's why you want to get ReadyWise emergency meals. They have freeze-dried fruits and vegetables for convenient on-the-go nutrition, new adventure meals for hiking, camping, and other outdoor activities. ReadyWise meals are easy to prepare, just add water, and they have a very long shelf life. So if you do need emergency supplies, you got them. When government resources are strained, it could be a while before you can get fresh food. With ReadyWise, you've got it right there. And due to increased demand, supplies are limited, and some items may currently be out of stock. This week, my listeners can get free shipping at ReadyWise.com when entering Claven at checkout or by calling 855-474-4084. ReadyWise has a 90-day, no-questions-asked return policy, so there's no risk taking the initiative to get yourself and your family prepared today. That's ReadyWise, R-E-A-D-Y-W-I-S-E.com, promo code Claven to get free shipping. But wait, but wait, you say, wait, wait. How, how, oh, how, T- please tell me how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Uh, no E's in Clavin. I just, I just make it look like this. It's really, I know, it's hard to believe. So a lot of going up against the press, and this was really important. Nick Sandman, remember the guy who was, uh, you know, basically confronted uh, by that guy banging the drum in his face and the media's the media immediately condemned him because he was wearing a MAGA hat. They didn't know anything about it. It turned out he was the one who was being graceful and forgiving. He has now sued and gotten money from CNN and the Washington Post. So he was there and they gave him this uh, special, his speech, a special intro. This is cut 25. Ah, right. They didn't really do that. I did that. I, but I thought they should have done that. I thought they should have done that. I also sh- should have thought they had, should have had a Native American drumming in his face so he, to bring him out his best. Here's Nick Sandman. He made a really good speech. It's cut 10. What I thought was a strange encounter quickly developed into a major news story complete with video footage. My life changed forever in that one moment. The full war machine of the mainstream media revved up into attack mode. They did so without researching the full video of the incident, without ever investigating Mr. Phillips' motives, or without ever asking me for my side of the story. And do you know why? Because the truth was not important. You know, this is really interesting because people don't know this stuff. You know, we think they know it because we know it, because we talk to each other, we listen to it. But they, a lot of them, you know, they demonize Fox News, they demonize me, they demonize anybody who's on the right, so that people who are on the left, even moderately on the left, think, oh, that's that stuff, that picture of burning cities, that's just right-wing media. That's just the right-wing media. When the New York Times finally admitted that Portland was on fire and Seattle was on fire, people were writing in saying, well, all this time you didn't tell us. Why, why suddenly are you telling us now? People don't know, so it's important. I just have to quote Joe Lockhart, commentator for CNN, who tweeted, I'm watching tonight because it's important. And he said of Nick Sandman, but I don't have to watch this snot-nosed, entitled kid from Kentucky. So really, uh, I mean, that that does really bring down Sandman. I mean, not only does he have mucus in his nose, but he's from Kentucky. Liberals have absolutely pristine, clean noses and are from great places like New York. Oh, I've been shot. I'm sorry. Or California, but I can't tell you about that because my electricity just went off. What a clown. What a bunch of elite clowns. Talk about elite, entitled people. 
the mainstream media fits the bill. Let's listen to just one more uh, clip from Sandman, because again, it's important because people don't hear this stuff and they, they hear the Sandman story. You know the way most people get the news. They look at a headline. They look at the first few lines. That's what they think the truth is. And the media knows it. The media knows it. The New York Times writes its paper so that for people who glance at the headlines in the first two uh, paragraphs, and then they put the important stuff below the fold where most people never uh, dare to tread. So let's uh, take a look at uh, Cut 11. I learned what was happening to me had a name. It was called being canceled, as in annulled, as in revoked, as in made void. Canceled is what's happening to people around this country who refuse to be silenced by the far left. Many are being fired, humiliated, or even threatened. And often, the media is a willing participant. But I would not be canceled. I fought back hard to expose the media for what they did to me, and I won a personal victory. You know, so he has one of two of these suits. We don't know. Obviously, they, these suits, they always have uh, non-disclosure agreements, so we don't know what exactly uh, the numbers are. But obviously, they don't want this to go on. They don't want it to become public. They don't want it to go to court. Tiffany Trump, who we never hear from Tiffany Trump, she keeps a, a low profile, but she did the same thing and she joined in this. And I just think it's a, I think it's a major important story because remember, again, except on CNN, where they keep breaking away because they don't want people to hear the truth unfiltered, except on CNN, people are this is the only time this is the only time Republicans get to speak and be heard and without the press basically reinterpreting what they said, you know? So what you're saying is, what you're saying is really racist because what you're saying is, you know, they set, remember, the left sets the terms by which we are called racist. This is why, this is why I fight back so hard against this. This is why I complain when conservatives won't step out and risk cancellation because of the, the left is going to say that what they said is racist. If it's racist, don't say it. You shouldn't be saying racist things. We shouldn't be unkind to one another. But if you're, you know, joking or if you're making a point or if you're making a point in goodwill, you know, we shouldn't be afraid to do that. They sh we shouldn't allow them to make us afraid to do that. This is the point. So to hear the, the Republican side on the press, which is undeniable. I mean, once you say it, only the far left will disagree with you. I think it's important. So this is Tiffany uh, Trump, cut 16. If you tune into the media, you get one biased opinion or another. And what you share, if it does not fit into the narrative that they seek to promote, then it is either ignored or deemed a lie, regardless of the truth. This manipulation of what information we receive impedes our freedoms. Rather than allowing Americans the right to form our own beliefs, this misinformation system keeps people mentally enslaved to the ideas they deem correct. So to her point, you know, there was all this stuff going on. Like, for instance, uh, Trump gave a pardon to a former criminal who's now formed a wonderful uh, group helping uh, ex-cons. He uh, took in new immigrants who became citizens and he was there to congratulate them. That was very beautiful. He, uh, Melania, spoke in the Rose Garden and Mike Pompeo, who is one of my favorite people in the administration, he made a speech from Jerusalem. This drove the left crazy. Let's hear a little cut of this uh, 15. This president has led bold initiatives in nearly every corner of the world. In China, he's pulled back the curtain on the predatory aggression of the Chinese Communist Party. In North Korea, the president lowered the temperature and against all odds got the North Korean leadership to the table. The president, too, moved the U.S. Embassy to this very city of God, Jerusalem, the rightful capital of the Jewish homeland. And just two weeks ago, 
the president brokered a historic peace deal between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. <laughs> they hate this because it's all true. I mean, on foreign policy, which has been dominated by these poobahs who are full of poobah, uh, Trump has gone another way and he has accomplished things that nobody has done. That isn't historic. It's not historic like the press uses historic because a slightly brown person from some other country is finally the attorney general of Wisconsin or something like that. It's not historic like that. It's historic like it made history. It could change history. It's real. So the networks unleash. And the thing is, they say, oh, he's breaking the law by having anything going on in the White House because you're not supposed to have um, you're not supposed to have uh, campaigns going on in the White House. The president can do things from the White House, but other people can't. You're breaking the law by uh, by having Mike Pompeo. This is not breaking the law, but Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state, he's not supposed to make political statements and all this stuff. So here's, let's listen to the networks go nuts. This is 24. This is breaking the boundaries of not just a Zoom-like convention. Nobody's ever used the platform of the White House. It violates a lot of laws. There are strict laws in this country <laughs> that govern the political activity of federal civilian executive branch employees. Never before in have we seen a president use the majesty of the White House, a uh, federal building, in order to conduct political activity. Using federal assets, which are paid for by us taxpayers in a political way, uh, is undermining of the institutions and democracy itself. So that's fair. That's pretty much the way they cover the Democratic uh, Convention, right? Listen, I'm in L.A. You could look up and see Obama in Air Force One coming in here to meet with Harvey Weinstein to get his money for his next campaign. I mean, Obama did all this stuff. Conservatives, Republicans complained about it constantly, but never got traction. Why? for the simple reason that they own the press. They own the press, and it's very hard to get the word out. I mean, it really is. Do you remember the um, it, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, the old Jimmy Stewart movie where he plays the honest senator uh, who accidentally becomes a senator fighting the corruption in Washington, and he can't get the word out through the press because the press is corrupt. The press is wholly owned by the opposition, and he finally has kids in little wagons with their pr hand-printed newspapers spreading the news and the corrupt opposition sends trucks to drive them off the road. They can't get the word out. Uh, and, and that's the situation we have been in for years. The Internet has helped, and they're doing everything they can to shut it down. So this is important stuff. It is important to talk when we can, when people can hear us, about the dishonesty of the press. Because it's, you know, I mean, I show it here all the time. I'm not whining about it, but I'm, but I'm not accepting it either. This is the thing. A lot of people on the right say, well, don't whine about it. That's the way it is. No, no, it's not acceptable. And we should fight back by forming venues that actually bring you the news. We have venues for commentary like this one, but we need more venues that bring you the news fair and square. All right. If you were not there yesterday, you missed me uh, being absolutely delightful. And also, I missed a chance to get to talk to you. And you want to get an all-access membership. The all-access membership includes nightly all-access live sessions where one of us hosts hops on to chat with you guys. I love doing that. Uh, exclusive access to live online discussions with hosts, writers, and special guests. You get two. Count them. One, two, you can probably do that. Some of my audience, I'm not so sure, but you get two leftist tears tumblers. And tonight, Matt Walsh will be live streaming the entire night of day three of the RNC, watching with you and taking your comments and questions. They asked me to do the entire night. I laughed. Starts at 8.15 p.m. Eastern, 5.15 p.m. Pacific. Sign up at dailywire.com slash Clavin with coupon code ACCESS to get 20% 
off your membership. The mailbag is on its way. Mailbag. That's what I was going to say. Uh, I'll try and keep my answers a little shorter today so you get to more. I've got so many good questions from Caitlin. Uh, Hi, Drew, huge fan. Love your show. Figured it's time you solved all my problems. This is a big one. My husband and I have been together for six years. We have two young children. He was raised Catholic, but we have been going to a non-denominational Christian church. Out of nowhere, about twice a year, he tearfully tells me that he feels God is telling him that he must leave me in order to be a Catholic priest. He feels God is telling them that if he stays with me, he will go to hell. I've told him over and over that God would never want a marriage to end, and I remind him this does not believe many this that he does not believe many key Catholic doctrines. We cry and talk it out, and he'll seem normal for a while, then it comes up again. Um, I can't imagine spending the rest of my life with someone who believes he is condemning his soul to hell by being married to me. What should I do? Uh, you know, this is this is not the word of God. You're absolutely right. This is a neurosis. This is some neurotic thing. Take him to a Catholic priest. Take him and sit down with a good, honest Catholic priest. There's still plenty of them around. He will tell you the same thing. God is not calling him to desert his family. He's not calling him to desert these children. This is some kind of neurotic guilt he's feeling. Maybe I'm not. I don't mean to analyze him from afar, but maybe he's feeling some kind of neurotic guilt for having left the Catholic Church, and so he's overcompensating with this pull. But take him, sit down with a Catholic priest, and maybe even go into counseling with a Catholic priest. If not, he should go into counseling with someone because this is this is pure. I'm telling you, this is pure neurosis. Has nothing to do with religion. Uh, But let a Catholic priest tell him. from Jackie, dear mostly peaceful podcaster, <laughs> I've been married for 10 years. My husband and I survived polymory, identity politics, and radical feminism. Most of that was my fault. During the past few years, we have started to embrace conservative values, and I just gave birth to our first child, a beautiful little girl. Congratulations. My question for you is how can we give our da- daughter a solid Christian foundation when we ourselves have been so flawed? We both slept around, betrayed each other, and indulged our baser instincts. And even though we're fixing that now and trying to find God, the idea of teaching her to live her life differently feels hypocritical, especially since the straight and narrow path is exactly what I rebelled against as a teenage girl. All my problems are about to be solved. Can't wait. Well, first of all, your reasoning is off. I mean, obviously, it is not hypocritical to teach her what you have learned by your mistakes. You know, you don't, she doesn't have to know all the details, but she can know you've lived a life that taught you uh, to be the person that you are. It is not hypocritical to teach people the good, even if you had to go through the bad to get there. That's silly. It's ridiculous. It's like saying, oh, yeah, I blew a hole in my foot with a gun. How can I teach? teach my kid not to blow a hole in, in his foot with a gun. You teach him by saying, you know, don't blow a hole in your foot with a gun. The important thing too, I, I used to say this to my wife and we live this way. I said, it's not enough to do right. You have to be joyful in doing right. You have to love doing right. Don't tell it to him like, this is the way we live. This is the beautiful thing we have. This is the beautiful thing. It takes a little bit of self-discipline. It takes some self-control. But we've seen the other side. We know what it's like. It makes you miserable. It does. I don't know anybody who has had an open marriage who has, that, who has been made happy by it. And they wonder why they're so miserable. They can't fix it. Uh, but no, you, you have found the way. You have seen the light. Take your kids into the light. They don't have to know everything about your past. Hey, they, they don't, you don't own them that. owe them that. Take, you found the light. You made it there. Let them be born and brought up and raised in that light. Why, why on earth would you curse them with darkness when you can gift them with the light? Don't make it unhappy. Don't make it restrictive. Don't make them feel like they're in a a straitjacket. Make them feel that this is the happy place to be because you know what? It actually is. The truth will set you free. From Doug, 
Hello, Mr. Clavin. Hopefully you'll have time to address this quick question regarding Jesus and slavery. Love him or hate him, Bill Maher has been putting somewhat of a wrench into the leftist agenda. I always respect Maher. Uh, his most recent rant is about canceling Jesus, but to me it seems more mockery. I know he's an avid atheist. In any case, he ends up arguing that Jesus didn't seem very anti-slavery. He could turn water into wine, but said and did little to nothing with regards to the utilization of slavery. He does it in stereotypical Maher fashion, of course, which I find comical sometimes. So basically, what are your thoughts on Jesus' thoughts on slavery, and can you elaborate as to why he did nothing about it, according to Mar? Yes, I can. Um, very instructive moment in the Gospels is when Jesus receives a woman taken in adultery, and they say the law says we have to stone her. Uh, shall we stone her? And he says, let him, yes, stone her, but let him who has no sin, who is without sin, throw the first stone. And of course, nobody's without sin, so nobody throws a stone. Now, you can look at that. And I always make this joke when I talk about this, that liberals would say, you know, that what conservatives would say, well, if you don't stone her, then everybody will commit adultery. That's what conservatives will say. But what liberals will say, well, how can he not change the law? How can he not say this law is terrible? There's a terrible law that you stone somebody for committing adultery. Jesus never does that. He infuses, he infuses the standing culture, whatever it is, with love and forgiveness and the humanity that comes from knowing God. So he doesn't say, change that law. He never says it. He doesn't say, change that law. He doesn't say, repeal this. He doesn't say, stop this uh, institution. What he says is, you infuse that with love. Because you know what? There's always going to be injustice. There's always going to be something wrong. And radical change usually makes things worse. Usually radical change makes things worse. But if you infuse institutions with love, the bad ones fall away. That's the truth. If you infuse institutions with love, the bad ones, you can't keep people slaves. Now, the slavery in, the, in their day was not chattel slavery. It was actually a, a function. Of, it was a class system. So it was on, there was people who were free, and then there were people who were slaves in the same way. There were upper class people and people who were very low down on the social ladder. So it was more like that. It was actually a role. You had responsibilities to your slaves. Uh, they were not people you were selling back and forth. It was not the same kind of thing. You had a family slave that you that had responsibilities to you and you to him. So it was different, but still, it was not the right thing. And he doesn't get rid of it. What he does is he infuses the society with love and with a, a awareness of your own sins. And in doing that, all these things fall away. And the proof of them, that, is that they did fall away, and they fell away first and foremost in Christian countries. And that's the proof. It takes centuries to change the human heart. It takes centuries to change the human heart. You don't suddenly become a loving, wonderful person. Centuries of Christianity, of Christian thought, and Christian presence have to flow into a culture so that it changes. But if you want to know why it changes, it changes because of Jesus Christ. So Bill Maher says he didn't get rid of slavery, I say he did, because I say he's still here and still working in the human heart. And that's and that's the truth. And so, you know, there was no point in him coming out and saying, get rid of your slaves because people were not going to do it. They wouldn't even understood what he was saying, but he infused every institution with love and then slavery becomes impossible over time. Uh, from Heather, esteemed defender of the Republic, I have a question about freedom of speech. I've long been a believer in Milton's idea from the Areopagitica. Great uh, young heretics. My son has a great young heretics podcast about that. Uh, he, that it's best to allow all ideas to be aired, and the best will rise to the top. Bad ideas will be more clonely, clearly shown to be faulted. My certainty in this idea is shaken by the difference in the culture that existed when Milton made his argument, and the culture we now live in. Without a large portion of the population believing in Christianity and objective truth, is it possible for freedom of speech to bring out the best ideas? If most people in a culture lie, will freedom of speech still show up the lies? Well, you're making a really good point in the sense that Milton did believe that you could censor uh, some 
some kinds of things like atheist speech, uh, he did believe in truth. And if you don't believe in truth, there's really no point in talking. So, you know, but the problem is, of course, that once you start talking about free speech, speech becomes freer and freer. Ideas go out to their furthest point. And here's my argument with you. What you're saying is, if we allow all arguments, the good may lose the argument. If we allow free speech, we may lose the argument. But my argument is, if we don't allow free speech, we've already lost the argument. Because who will decide? Who is going to make the decision what speech should be free? And the answer is the people in power. There's only free speech and speech controlled by people with power. And people with power ultimately will only support speech that supports their power. So yes, we may lose. We may lose the argument, especially if we can't make the argument that truth exists, if we can't make the argument that God exists, if, we're, if we can't speak up for those ideas which are central to the uh, beneficence of free speech, we can lose. But we've already lost if we give over the right to censor our speech to the powerful and the well-placed, because that's who will do it. Now, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm close to an absolutist on free speech, but if you can do stuff about, you know, toxic speech like pornography, uh, I'm not against that. But in terms of political ideas, in terms of theological ideas, I am an absolutist, and I do believe we'll win, but I do believe we can lose. And if we lose, then that's a terrible thing, but not as terrible as having surrendered by giving up free speech itself, because free speech is the essence of who you are, because it's the way you express who you are, right? What comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and that's why you have to be allowed to speak freely, because that's the only way you can be a free person. From David, my wife has been having a lot of anxiety about people saying natural disasters are getting worse, and she has a fear that we're living through the tribulation, the end times. Would you be able to share your thoughts on the world as it pertains to the end of the Bible and if we are going to live through the tribulation? You know, the Bible is really clear on this. Jesus is really clear. He says, no one knows the day or the hour. No one knows the day or the hour. Jesus says, even he doesn't know the day or the hour. Only the Father in heaven knows the day or the hour, which means I think you can deduce from that that you should get about your business. You should get about doing the things that God wants you to do with your life and not worrying about this. The other thing that Jesus says is when it comes, there'll be no mistake. It's going to fall out of, like fire out of heaven. You'll know. You will know that it's here. So, you know, people have thought the tribulation was coming uh, a million times through the centuries. We don't know. You know, my, I, I, my joke is always, you know, no one knows the days or the hour. But it's looking like Tuesday at 3 p.m., you know, because everybody wants to know. Everybody thinks they know. And nobody likes suspense. That's why there are. That's why I made such a good living as a suspense novelist, because nobody likes suspense that they experience through fiction. You know, nobody likes to know the suspense. Everybody's worried. But the thing is, no one knows. So get about your business, live in hope, and, and do what God wants you to do. That's the only right answer. Um, from Daniel, greetings, Clavin, master of the multiverse. My wife decided that she wants a divorce. I'm a Christian and believe that I should not divorce. Uh, but I should love my wife and make her marriage work. My wife, also Christian, does not believe that divorce is against God's word. She wants to divorce because she feels she's not ready and needs to figure itself out. I've tried to point her to the scriptures that talk about divorce, but she refuses to believe we should not get divorced. What should I do? She's already filed and is not willing to go to counseling. Should I comply and allow her to finalize the divorce? We've been married for three years. We do not have kids and our assets are not tied together. Yeah, you have no choice. Let her go. I mean, it's on her. Uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of divorce, but there are no kids and she's gone. You know, what are you going to do? You lock her up in a room? It's ridiculous, you know? So the marriage, she's not married to you anymore. She's not married to you anymore. You're not ending the marriage. She is. Let her go. Let her go and build another marriage with somebody who is going to be better to you. She feels that she's acting in Christ. It's not for me to judge. It's not for you to judge. You know, do, you have done what you could, everything you could, 
And this is just beyond your power. It's just not in your power. So let her go. Um, so from Joseph, I'm, uh, I'm taking a brief pause from conspiring to convert you and Shapiro to Catholicism to ask a deeply personal question. My mother died early last month after a six-week battle with a very aggressive cancer. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, I'm only 24 and was very close to my mother. So this is a tremendous loss for me as well as my father. I'm an only child. While she died, a repentant believer, and I'm confident she is e either in the Lord's most loving arms or well on our way. I still miss her terribly. Uh, I've been listening to your show for years, and I was hoping you would have some inspiring words or advice for me as I navigate life after this sudden loss. Sincerely, came for Shapiro, stayed for Noel, subscribed for Clavin. Uh, prayers for you and your most critical work. And what's a guy got to do to get a Clavin book signed? You send it to the care of the Daily Wire with a stamped self-addressed envelope so I can send it back to you and I will sign it. It takes a while because I'm here and not there, but still. Uh, listen, I've been through this. I'm going through it now. I've been through it during this uh, pandemic. I have lost uh, someone really dear to me. And I always say that grief is a desert that has to be crossed on foot meaning that it just takes time. You are going to be in pain. And the pain of grief is so bad because there's nothing you can do about it. There's no, you know, there's no uh, antidote to death. You know, obviously, I too believe your mom is with the Lord and that you will be reunited and it'll be more beautiful than you can imagine. But she's not here. And this life matters. You know, <laughs> all lives matter. And this life matters. And it's painful as hell. And it really is like being in the middle of a desert where nothing grows. And here's what I can tell you, Okay. God knows you're walking across this desert, and he knows that there's a way for you to come out of this with more compassion, with more depth of feeling, with more soulfulness, with a more delineated soul than you had when you walked into this desert. That's the only consolation there is, that you are going through something that can lead you to a higher plane of living, of understanding, of loving. You can love deeper after grief. Uh, you can come out of it in a way that's proud. Make God your northern star. Make, ask yourself of God, not, not why me, not what am I doing here, not why did my mom die, but what am I supposed to do with this terrible pain? What am I supposed to do with this terrible situation? Ask yourself that question. What am I supposed to make of this? What direction I'm, am I supposed to go in? And don't just ask yourself, ask God, because he'll actually tell you. He'll tell you over time, it will become clear to you over time, not that there's some project that is supposed to take place. There might be, but there might not be. Just that what is it supposed to do to your point of view about the world? How are you supposed to better understand the world? How is this going to make you more loving, more forgiving, more of the person Christ made you to be when you were born, when you were conceived in the womb? God had an idea for you. You know, I know about me, and we all know about ourselves, that you have not lived up to that idea. You are trying to grow into that idea. You are the shriveled version of yourself, trying to become the full version of yourself. How will you get there from where you are right now, which is a painful place. Don't expect it to go away. Don't say, oh, I had a sudden revolution, revelation. Now I feel better. Just walk the walk. You will get there. You will get to the other side of this desert, uh, but it takes time. And you want to, when you come out of that desert, you want to be in the good place rather than in a worse place of bitterness and smallness and, and uh, all the things you know you don't want in your life. And that's all I can tell you. I can't tell you it's going to go away fast. I can't tell you, uh, you know, you're suddenly going to have a big happy face drawn on. I can tell you that it will end. You will cross this desert. And if you cross it with God as your northern star, you will come out into a place that is much better than you even can imagine right now. Truly, truly much better, much deeper, much richer, more humane than you can imagine right now. I got to stop there. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. I'll see you tomorrow. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. 
We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director is Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, or head and makeup, by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Wisconsin gives new meaning to the term battleground state. The Covington kid addresses the RNC, and Democrats already refuse to concede the election. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.